Blog Talk Radio. Phoenix, I just opened the bottle. You ready to get the show started? Okay, be right there. You ready? Okay. Where the, the witch, witch is next door. door. That intro gets cheesier and cheesier <laughs> every time I listen to it. I told you when we made it, it was cheesy. I never liked it. You were super into it. so um, I still like it. I didn't say I didn't like it. I oh, just I don't like cheesy. it. It's cheesy as hell. Well, we could have like crappy spooky music that would be oh wonderful. are you trying to talk shit about my other podcast where we play crappy spooky music you have no other podcast that's worth mentioning <laughs> yeah <laughs> anywho anywho it's sam hain it is it's one of probably two or three sam hain editions we should stop Who? saying sam hain because that's going to really tick someone off it's pronounced Samhain. yeah but i still want to know who sam hain is he is the pumpkin-headed god of Halloween. <laughs> now that's going to piss somebody off. <laughs> S-A-M, capital H-A-I-N. Sam Hain, the pumpkin god. Pum-pum- yeah, the king. The king. The pumpkin king, like Jack Skellington. He's Jack Skellington's brother, Sam Hain, Skellington. So moving away from Sam Hain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's, so, yeah, we're going to talk. Yeah, we're going to talk about that one. That one. Yeah. Go on. Oh, I'm going to talk about Samhain? You're going to start talking about Samhain, okay. and I'm going to listen. All right. We'll try something new. There you go. So um, we mentioned in our little written intro to the show that uh, we don't, as a, as a family, as a couple, and then our, our extended family that practices with us, we don't actually celebrate Samhain on October 31st, which is the day that Many, maybe even most people celebrate Samhain, uh, and then some people will celebrate it typically into early November. Right. There's the there's the 31st, and there's also November 1st that some people acknowledge, and then there's astrological Samhain, which will be anywhere I think up to the 14th. It could be. Right. I, it depends on the year and what what the what the skies are doing. Right. And and all of those times are perfectly fine to celebrate yeah. that one. There's no judgment personal there. It's preference. just, yeah, personal preference, different practices. But generally, we don't celebrate it or acknowledge it on just one day, whichever one day that is. Mm-hmm. For us, Samhain is, um, is a tide. It's an extended period. And for a us, season. yeah, it's a season that runs sort of October, November, and December, really, it for ish. us. Yeah, ish. ish. I think Yule and Samhain overlap a bit but i'm gonna go out on a a limb here and say i think that's true for most people they just may not consciously acknowledge that it's a tide Mm. you know most people start decorating early or they go they don't no one goes to the pumpkin patch on halloween you know you go ahead of time and the same if we think about yule slash christmas because slash winter solstice right because you know most of us are a mix joining some of these things together it's not like the holiday is just that day there's the eve of the holiday and the day after you know for christmas there's boxing day which many people acknowledge and then there's the weeks and weeks and weeks of decorating and lead up to those holidays and i think that's true for most holidays except for the more secular ones yeah and so for me what sort of identifies Samhain Tide? There's not um, a date. It doesn't say, oh, look, it's October 1st. It's the beginning of Samhain Tide. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's December 21st. It's the end of Samhain Tide. 
it's more of a, I don't know, a feeling or a mood. So indicators for me, sometime in September, typically where we live, something shifts. All of a sudden, maybe green leaves start to yellow or first thing in the morning, there's just a bit more of a bite in the air. I mean, it never gets super, super cold where we are, but it does get chilly. Uh, obviously, the nights begin to draw in a little mm-hmm. bit. You know, it gets a little darker a little earlier. Which I hate. Mm. Moving on. <laughs> uh, and so those are signifiers for me. Um, things like harvests, again, where we live, you know, it's it's pretty common at this time of year to have squash and pumpkins and tomatoes and things like that still coming in. But um, often where we live in Sonoma County, the beginning of the crush, which is when the grapes are being harvested, that's sort of a signal that it's the end of the um, the the summer. And it's beginning to move into a time of year that's a little bit more at least agriculturally, it's a little bit more still. Mm-hmm. You know, there are fewer things blossoming. There are fewer things actively growing their fruits or vegetables or what have you. So it begins to be, you know, the term I like to use is fallow. It's not quite fallow yet, but right. it's, it's well, getting it's to be never fallow. really fallow where we live. Right. But, you know, in January is not a good time to plant things. It's but... not a good time to plant, but there's still winter crops that will, you can harvest. Yeah. But you get the idea. There are sort of, um, natural indicators that yeah. things are changing. And for me, there just comes a point where all of a sudden I go, oh, it's... It feels sourish. It feels sourish, sour so, and tidy. interesting. This year has been very weird from a fire season perspective in Northern California and a weather perspective. I read today that um, this September was the hottest we've ever had on record. Yeah. It was the warmest ever. So I'm curious. I think generally speaking for myself, Samhain Tide usually starts around the middle of September. Um, do you feel we're in it now? If it's more of a vibe for you, are you feeling that vibe or is it still too warm? Or what's, what are the marks you might usually be feeling are you feeling them this year i am and i think there's a couple reasons for that so one um uh we've just moved so some folks know that and uh you might remember our last show we talked about house magic and there was a reason for that because we were about to do all of that house magic um so i i do because we just moved there's been this shedding there's been this releasing there's been um you know, sort of the death, if you will, of our old home, Mm -hmm. you know, the letting go of that, the winnowing of all of our uh, belongings to fit into, funnily enough, a bigger home, but still that winnowing process of of getting rid of things that no longer serve. And I think that process of um, stripping away felt very Samhain-like to me. It was this recognition that all things change, that all things die, that all things pass on which is a particularly Samhain uh, experience Mm -hmm. for me. So, yeah, I think when I really began that active moving process of winnowing and packing and moving and then being in the new home, we've only been here a few days, but being in the new home, starting to think about settling in, like where I want to be comfortable, Mm -hmm. um, is is reminding me again that it's going to be uh, not as light. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, the, the days are going to draw in. So I'm starting to think about 
um, soups and stews and um, big meals that are warming and, you know, things like that. And that always reminds me of Sauentide. Again, it's um, our CSA boxes, you know, the the garden farmer's boxes that we get are not going to have peaches and tomatoes in them pretty soon, right? They're yeah. going to have more root vegetables. And so, again, it's that sort of grounding, rooting mm-hmm. um feeling so those are some of the indicators so yeah i'm fully in salentide mm-hmm. i really am i'm not it doesn't feel like it's time yet and i think that's just because the timing of this year because of covid and everything else going on in the world this whole year's timing has fell off you're still waiting for beltane yeah kind <laughs> of in some ways it's true you know especially because of of owning a witchy shop you know and um Milk and Honey was closed for three months. So that my internal timer on how things are supposed to be and where I'm supposed to be, you know, didn't happen. So I feel I feel very off. It doesn't quite feel so untied. And it's still pretty warm, although there is a whisper of rain coming. Um, And that's kind of exciting because I actually really love the rain. And for the last several years, I have dreaded rain because of where we were living. Because there was, you know, a few things wrong with the house and the rain made me nervous that something was going to be even more wrong. So it's really exciting to uh, look forward to the rain because I know our environment is more sound Mm -hmm. and it will be fun and to experience that weather shift. So, you know, I'm looking forward to those things, but it still feels my timer's off this year, I think. Yeah. But I did start decorating. Decorating is a huge part of Samhain celebrating. Well, any holiday really for me, there's a big part of it that's connected to decorating. It's, it's just a verb, uh, not a verbal, it's a visual touchstone that, that we're in that tide or that season or that holiday is coming or whatever. Uh, and although we've, we were moving, so we didn't decorate our home as we normally would. I have the the blessing of being able to decorate a front window at the shop. So I decorated on September 1st, <laughs> which is early for me. I don't usually do that that early, but I was like, you know what? My timer is off and everything's super intense. Right now, I I need a little bit of fun and frivolity and and witchy skeletons and you know all the cliches of Halloween decorations. So the the front window at the shop is, has been sowed up for over a month. Yeah. So just to sort of really focus in a few moments on on sowing itself. Uh-huh. So you asked me about some of the indicators, and I gave you some of my sort of you know, uh, natural weather visual clues that I get and how I might relate to them. You mentioned decorating. So one of the things, you know, we wanted to talk about today was some of our favorite traditions around Samhantide. Yeah. So, um, and I, can I say something really quick before we go down that road? Yeah. Uh, I can't personally, I don't know if you agree with this personally, I entwine intertwine Samhain and Halloween a lot. Samhain. Yeah. So, you know, the decorating, the going to Target or whatever store and seeing all the the new tchotchkes for the year, uh, all of the, you know, witch costumes and, and the scary movies and all the things that we might associate with Halloween really, for me, are also a part of Samhain. And mm. I don't know if that's just because of 
the culture that I grew up in or because I started practicing witchcraft as a teenager. So it was kind of cool to do all the scary movies and stuff at that age. But those things are really intertwined for me. Yeah. And I think that's really what I'm about to kind of draw out. Yeah. Is <clears throat> so I think if you just look at Halloween yeah. and you can do your own research on, on the, the origins of, of Halloween itself, sure. we're not going to go into that today, but the overarching theme of Halloween mm-hmm. is death, right? Yeah. The skeletons and scariness Scary, and yeah. monsters yeah. and things that go bump in the night, yeah. you know, which is ties into what as, as witches and pagans, what we honor more often at Samhain tide, right? Yeah. Again, this, this moving from one state to another, from sort of the, you know, the bright, sunny, um, fertile, if you will, mm-hmm. harvesty kind to, to a more fallow, quiet, quiet. period. Mm-hmm. And in that quietness and in that stillness, we contemplate life and death and perhaps mm-hmm. rebirth, depending on what your belief system is. Yeah. So I think there is a natural, uh, I mean, there are certainly some historical reasons why these two things run together, but I also think culturally, um, you can do the fun Halloween things, the the dressing up mm-hmm. and candy and, you know, all those jack-o'-lanterns, all of that lot, and celebrate Samhain and not have them actually be separate because the simple fact of the matter is they're not. And by that, I mean everywhere most people go from somewhere in, you know, late September, early October, uh, through the end of October, they'll see some kind of Halloween stuff. Mm-hmm. So as witches and pagans, we will be part of that. I often yeah. joke it's the one time of year where yeah. you can wear all your witchy shit and no one bats an eye. Well, or it's the one time of the year that the, the our over culture, the mainstream culture fits what our little... What we look like the rest of the year. Yeah, what's the what's the word I'm thinking of? Our little subsect of the world mm-hmm. matches what everyone else is doing, yeah. which is not usually the case. Right. For a month, it's okay to be a witch. Yeah. Right. So I think it's okay that we <clears throat> that they sort of blend because yeah. you know every person listening to this and ourselves, we have our own practices. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you a question then. So one of your favorite practices and something that we do here in the house is decorating. Mm-hmm. So apart from the very cliched Halloween decorations, what are some of the Samhain decorations that you put up? Things that you really associate with the spiritual practice of this time of year versus, you know, a plastic jack-o'-lantern on the front porch. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's funny is I don't think that there are any decorations that I put up that I specifically associate with Samhain opposed to Halloween there, you know, like everything that I have um, is those two things. However, there is this, so that some of this is cheese and some of this is more serious, right? Um, we, Gwen and I have um, helped plan public ritual for many years and one of those rituals being a Samhain ritual. And often people would bring photos of their beloved dead to the ritual to put on an altar. And every year, beloved dead would be left behind. (laughs) Someone would forget to pick up their picture or we would forget to remind people to pick up their picture. So over the years, I have a collection of beloved dead that I've been um, caretaking. Other people's dead. Other people's dead. I don't know who are in these pictures, but I just I felt awkward just throwing them out. In fact, for many years, I would take them to the ritual the next year and they would find their beloved. Right. So. 
Um, but one of the things I would do that's changing this year, but one of the things I would do is take them out at Samhain and put them on my ancestor altar, even though they are not my beloved dead or my ancestors. It just felt like that's part of my decorating. That's part of uh, honoring Samhain. And once upon a time, I didn't have an ancestor altar. So I would make one at Samhain. There right. was always an ancestor altar around Samhain tide that I would you know, put dead family on or not actually put dead family on pictures of dead family, <laughs> pictures of beloveds before. Grandma, they died. quick, dig her up, throw her on the yeah, altar. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and a you know, a black candle and some So say more about that. Don't, like that. Don't gloss over that. Talk well, about talk about uh, an ancestor altar. Not everybody here has uh, the opportunity to to build one or have one up permanently, which we right. do. We yeah, so now I have an ancestor altar up permanently, so it's it's something there year round. So it's not I think I almost take it for granted at Samhain. Like I don't, I don't necessarily do anything extra or special for the ancestor altar at this time because it's always there. Um, but yeah, an ancestor altar can be up all year long, yeah, but, or you can put it up just around Samhain tide. And but what can, do you put on your Samhain altar? That's what I'm about to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I asked you like 15 <laughs> minutes ago. <laughs> uh, it can be trinkets that belonged to a beloved that has passed away it can be photos of that beloved um i've often put um uh, like the program from a um a funeral proceeding on the ancestor altar bones of animals you may have found or collected over the years a candle uh really all you all you need at the bare minimum of, for an ancestor altar is a candle and a cup of water. Like if you've gotten nothing else. Why right? a cup of water? Uh, it's an offering. A cup of water is always an, an offering. It's, it's accessible. It's easy to get. It's free. And um, it's, a, it's an easy offering, especially if you don't know anything about your ancestors or you may not know what they liked to eat or what they liked to drink or anything. Water is always good. And you just write to my ancestors or to grandpa Francis or to the, the clan of the McCoys or whatever. Uh, and just light the candle every day, refresh the water every day. Just let your ancestors know that you are grateful for life and you honor them with that gratitude. So speaking of like beloveds, right? Mm -hmm. So we've been specifically talking about really family, primarily relatives, but I know a lot of our friends, and we do this as well, uh, will put uh, pictures of the beloved dead of the craft. So, for instance, if you're somebody that really loves Doreen Valiente, you might put a picture of Doreen Valiente up there, or Gerald Gardner, or Alistair Crowley, or you know whoever it is that is important. Maybe there are folks in your lineage mm -hmm. of witchcraft that have gone before. Um, put those on the altar as well. And mm -hmm. that way you're honoring your your personal family that you've lost and then also family of choice right. that you've lost that can be um or family of lineage whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. but that's another way to build a, an altar as well right yeah so, and i sort of break this concept of of dead down a bit it, ancestors i use as a generic term mm -hmm. and i do write about this in my book what is remembered love hey nice <laughs> there is a whole section on ancestor work um, but ancestors is a is a general umbrella term for what for those that have gone before, right? Yeah. So an ancestor could be your grandma, your mom, 
It could be someone from great, 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 great that you don't even know their name. And it could be that first primordial creature that crawled upon the planet. You know, we, we have a vast, we have millions of ancestors, each one of us. It's yeah. a freaking miracle. Yeah. But then we have the beloved dead and the way most folks, not all, but most and myself describe the beloved dead is these are the people you actually knew. So your friends, your relatives, the loved ones that have passed on that you had a relationship with in life. Those are beloved dead. Teachers. Right. Yeah. Then what, like we were talking about, Guion, the mighty dead. These are the ancestors of the craft, of witchcraft, of our lineages. Um, they, they take on a little bit higher status than ancestor or beloved dead because they've passed on lineage, right? Um, mighty dead, beloved dead, ancestors, and then there are those that are forgotten. Yeah. And I, I think it's important to acknowledge and remember them at Samhain because there are far, far, far more forgotten dead than remembered dead. All it takes is a visit to the cemetery to see that. Yeah. And so giving a little bit of um, thanks, energy, appreciation, awareness to those that nobody remembers because there are a lot of them. Which is sort of leads to another tradition that we've done from time to time, not as regularly, although now, given where we live, there's a, a cemetery not too far from where we're at, and I, mm-hmm. I'd actually like to do this again, um, is is to do that, right? Sometimes we go and you can see sort of the forgotten graves, mm-hmm. the older graves. No one's visiting them. They're they're shabby. They're dirty. And like just going and tending to a, a grave. Yeah. It's really good if there's a rural cemetery near you because yeah. there's all, the older the cemetery, the less they have those that are going to visit and remember them. And so finding a really old grave site and cleaning it up and dusting it off and pulling all the dead leaves away from the headstone. I mean, most cemeteries have care, uh, caregivers. That's not the right word. Caretaker. Caretakers. Yeah. Caretakers. That's interesting. Caregive, caretake. Yeah. <laughs> that, you know, do that. But, but it's their job to do that. It's not necessarily done necessarily done with a loving intent to honor that dead person you know so it is nice to give that it's a fun it's a fun sowentide activity yes a (laughs) funtivity yeah yeah um and and it is i mean it's respectful it's fun it's something you can do with the family Mm -hmm. right and you can have the conversations whether it's a family gravestone or not you know i mean obviously you know don't pull up somebody's fresh flowers that they've just planted because you want to put different flowers there but again there's frequently Again, at rural sites, more often, there are very um, untended yeah. gravesites. So, I mean, that's potentially something that you can do. Uh, if you've got pets that are buried in the back garden, you know, mm-hmm. things like that, you can tend to the little plot of land where yeah. where they're buried. And Beloved Dead, just to, since you brought up pets, Beloved Dead does include pets. They are our Beloved Dead. On our ancestor altar, we have ashes of three pets and then we have mementos from from a few other pets that we yeah. weren't able to get their ashes back for whatever reason so leashes and yeah collars like and things yeah. so yeah your, your pets absolutely count as well they're family yeah exactly yeah uh so yeah in fact i've had my cat bear claw come and visit in many a Samhain spiritual trance or journey or whatever he often shows up yeah yeah wonderful cat yeah so um, 
creating altars to beloved dead mm-hmm. or, or variety of dead ancestors and whatnot. Variety of dead. A variety of dead. Uh, going to grave sites mm-hmm. and maybe tending to the graves of the um, unnamed or, un, or unknown or forgotten. Uh, I always like to find a gravestone where the name is barely legible or not legible mm-hmm. and just speak to that person. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that makes me feel, uh, it feels like I'm doing some service. I don't sure. know why, but it does. Yeah. Um, so those are two practices that we often do. Mm-hmm. What else do we do it's, as a family? I know, I mean, for me, cooking is a big thing. Yeah. At some point, we'll have what we call an ancestor dinner. Yeah. And often... What we'll do is um, either cook um, different dishes that we know our uh, aunts, uncles, grandparents, people that we knew made or liked. Mm -hmm. Uh, And sometimes we'll be more thematic and say, well, I'm from this part of the world, so I'm going to make dishes from that part of the world to honor or from that culture to honor my ancestors. Mm -hmm. So in my case, you know, I might cook very traditionally British foods that maybe my grandparents or other beloveds liked, or maybe I've got some vague memory of my uncle Tom eating, you know, I'll, I'll make um, my uncle Tom and my auntie Maud always made very traditional foods. Mm -hmm. So um, English food. So I, I might cook something like that. And, um, when, and, and when we have these meals, you know, we, we set a big table, a real feast table, pull out the leaves in the table, decorate it with um, our finest linens, which aren't very fine at all. But, <laughs> you know, we decorate the table yeah. really beautifully um, and we set a place at the table for the ancestors, right. usually at the, the head of the table or, a, a, you know, a specific chair. Right set a plate for them. And then when we bring whatever it is that we bring to the table, we actually take some of the each, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Each, each dish Mm -hmm. we'll scoop a little bit onto the plate and often the best bits, like not the burnt bit on the corner or the bit of fatty gristle. No, the first bite should go to the ancestors. And that's a practice. If you want to do ancestor veneration more than just at Samhain, Mm. that's a practice to start doing is every, uh, and this is a huge cross-cultural practice, but you, you make a spirit plate with every meal and they get the first bite of everything you eat. Yeah. It's really lovely. And again, you mentioned it's not, I mean, that's not just a, a, a Guion and Phoenix thing. It's not just a, a, a Wiccan thing or a pagan thing. It's it really is cross culturally. There are many many examples yeah. of again spirit plates or or uh, offerings. Um, but that's one of the the things that I really enjoy, and I always find at this time of year, I really do harken back to those older recipes, uh, recipes that I grew up with that my grandparents or great-grandparents were making. I was fortunate to know um, a little bit of my great-grandparents. But again, being English, I've got a um, very well-documented history, both of my own family and Mm -hmm. of the places that my family lived. My family have lived in Kent for, well, for a fact, documented well over a thousand years. Mm -hmm. And so if you make some extrapolations that most people didn't move a lot. Right. There's a good chance that my folk had lived in and around Kent for perhaps even millennia going back into the, the Britons, mm-hmm. you know, not the British, but the Britons. Um, and so 
it's very easy for me to make Kentish recipes or even to go back to the Romano-British period and make Roman-British foods because my family absolutely were um, present at that time. And so I get, I mean, I'm always fascinated by food, but at Samhain, I get even more fascinated Mm -hmm. by food and start looking for very old traditional recipes. Um, And old could mean a hundred years old, or it could be, you know, a couple thousand years old, but I love to make those dishes. It connects me to the ancestors. I love singing traditional songs when I can remember them or listening to traditional um, British music, English music, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, reminds me of my, my dad uh, and my father uh, and of of other relatives that have gone by, you know, things that they would have listened to. So for me, Food is a really big part of Samhain and having a an ancestor dinner where we celebrate those folk. And the other thing we do is we tell stories about them like, oh, this is my great grandmother's shepherd's pie recipe. And I remember being in her kitchen when she would do this or, you know, mm-hmm. like it's it's re- remembering them. And it's funny. I mean, again, to plug your book, What is Remembered Lives. Yeah. You have this belief. I share it, too. Many, I think, pagans do is that. If you if you say somebody's name, if you remember the stories about them and you retell them year after year after year, those folk are still present. Mm-hmm. They're still remembered. They're still right. vital. They're not right. dead. There's that, that old saying, right? We die twice, once when our heart stops and once when the last person that knew us speaks our name. Right. And so reciting the names of the dead at an ancestor dinner mm-hmm. for me is is one of my favorite traditions that we do mm-hmm. i was just thinking uh, most of the time when i go to like ancestor dinners or if we've had a Samhain dinner or whatever i'll make something french because that's part of my lineage but it's also like the food i grew up with because oh, you're both your mother and grandmother are french right so like that you know when we would have christmas meal or thanksgiving or whatever there was always some french components and so i often make french stuff but there, that's actually now that I've been doing some some research into my my ancestry, there's actually very little French. <laughs> so maybe I should start looking at like making something Norwegian or Germanic or even British because there's a lot or Irish or Scottish. There's a lot more of that blood than I realized. So, yeah. you know, that's where um, I know some people are not a fan of the of the DNA testing, but it it can be really interesting and revealing and give you information that you may not have known for good and for bad. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think, you know, just to go off topic a little bit, you know, one of the things about DNA testing that I think is very good is that if you are someone that doesn't know anything about your ancestry, for Mm -hmm. whatever reason that, you know, family history stops one generation ago or whatever. Oh yeah. And even when you do like ancestry.com or whatever, and you start digging in some some roads are dead ends. Right. Yeah. Well, what I'm saying is, especially for folk that don't know much, mm-hmm. just knowing that at some point, your people, the the people that gave birth to the people before you and the people before you and the people before that came from mm-hmm. wherever it is, right? Um, at least gives you a place. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that you get to... Um, you know, grab the cultures from those places. It may have been a thousand years since your people lived in Germany. That doesn't make you German. Right. But it does make you, it does give you an ancestral link yeah. to folks from that place. Yeah. And so I think there is something like, well, I don't know much about myself or my family. 
Um, but I do know that I have uh, uh, ancestors that were from this place, these places, and that's at least a way in to doing some ancestor work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's really important. So it can be very direct. Oh, I know that my grandfather came from Norway. I'd like to visit Norway. Yeah. That's really good. And I have no idea where my family came from. Oh, look, I've got 18% um, you know, Spanish. Yeah. Right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Spain. Right. Right. So I think there's, um, there's still value in that work, especially at Sauantai, because like you said, we all have ancestors. We all came yeah. from somewhere. And, you know, if we were ever able to trace it back, we, we you know, we all come from a common ancestor or a few mm-hmm. common ancestors. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really important as well, especially this time of year, I think when everything seems so divisive, yeah. especially with an election and everything else yeah. going on, like recognizing that if you just go back really not that many generations no we all come from the same place and it's not a requirement to work with ancestors Mm -hmm. or to be you know to do witchcraft or paganism it's not even a thing you have to acknowledge at Samhain there is there is this concept of the veil being thinner and whatever that's supposed to mean and conversations with the entities in other realms is supposed to be easier and all this kind of thing but it's that you can still celebrate the change of the tides, the turning of the seasons, the mm-hmm. the shifts that are happening without having to get involved with ancestor veneration. And, you know, this is a good time to just put some energy into those beloved dead of your, your personal loved ones that have crossed over and tell their stories and remember them and make the foods that they liked, even if that's not an ancestral dish, yeah. you know, you might, um, you might make a strong cup of coffee and leave a cigarette out on your ancestor altar for one of your grandmothers. You know, that's yeah. not, that's not necessarily a cultural dish, right. <laughs> although it <Right>. could be. <laughs> <laughs> so um, things that we do in our home, we, we visit uh, cemeteries and maybe do a little tending. Mm-hmm. We set altars. Mm-hmm. We remember our beloved dead in a variety of ways. One of which is having a, an ancestor, dinner or sometimes we have many ancestor dinners mm-hmm. what else do we do yeah some years we have ancestor dinners in multiple places and it's like potluck after potluck mm. um, so this is one of those places where there's crossover with halloween is pretty much every year except for maybe once or twice we have taken a family excursion to a pumpkin patch yeah you know and we we tend to go to the big farm type ones where you can go and pick your own pumpkin out of the field. And, and so I know that this, this full experience isn't necessarily available to everyone, depending on where you live. But, you know, if there's a corn maze and a, a pit of corn that you can jump in and play on. And, yeah, sometimes there's even, you know, a, a jumpy thing for little kids to go in or whatever. I like the full geeky pumpkin patch experience. and Carving know, pumpkins. Yeah, and then, love carving pumpkins. you know, usually we... we the fam, right? We spread those things out. We go to the pumpkin patch and then a week or two later we carve the pumpkins. And then there, there is the pumpkin roast seed roasting that happens oh, while, I love that. while the kids are carving the pumpkins. I'm cleaning well, up the schmutz and roasting the seeds. We roast them with garlic salt. Yeah. That's it. Just you brilliant. just douse them to death in garlic salt. <laughs> and then you put them in the oven until they get lightly brown and that's it. That's so good. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So, yeah, we make a whole event of that. And yeah. then we usually, you know, we often have um, 
uh, now that the kids are a little bit older, uh, adults will have like mold wine or something like that. Um, yeah. We start to get those sort of spices going, or maybe we have pumpkin beer or something like mm-hmm. that. You know, then you wait it. till it's dark and you go and light the candles in your pumpkins and take a picture. And then later you look back and go, what year was that? Yeah. But we, it's funny because <laughs> we do that thing where we, we do, we turn all the lights off in the house. Yeah. We put the pumpkins outside and then we all go stand out in the street and look in and yeah. see how, how well they look, look lit. Huh? Uh-huh. Yeah. I love doing that. One of the other things that we do every year, again, this definitely goes into kind of the cheese factor, but I love this. Like I absolutely look forward to this every year. And I can't wait until we're settled in this place so that mm-hmm. we can get to this sooner than later. All right. We, every year, watch Practical Magic mm-hmm. at this time of year. Yeah. We've watched Hocus Pocus. We've watched Nightmare Before Christmas. We've watched... Well, that's also a Christmas movie. Right. But it's kind of the beginning it's, of that. It's Halloween and Christmas. Right. It's Halloween. <laughs> um, we also watch... Um, the craft. I mean, like we watch all of those sort mm-hmm. of. We enter and watch scary movies because right. you don't watch. I don't scary watch scary movies. movies, but we do. We watch those eighties and nineties. Yeah, I also watch movies. Halloween Wars on the Food <laughs> Channel or the Food Network. That's you know, it's a cake maker and a sugar artist and a pumpkin carver, and they have to do all of these timed events to create these amazing art pieces out of cake and candy and pumpkin. And I love it. And I watch it every year. Yeah. You save them up and watch them all. I re- yeah. We record them. And then when they're all done, me and the, the, the youngest watch it together. Yeah. So those are some of our traditions now, spiritually speaking. So, <laughs> you know, again, all of these have a spiritual component in them yeah. because having fun and celebrating celebrating is absolutely um, part of it. But let's talk specifically about ritual. So uh, uh, um, a Samhain dinner that Mm -hmm. we've been talking about, an ancestor dinner is one form of ritual. Mm -hmm. We often do over the years, we've celebrated a a number of ways. We have small coven celebrations, Mm -hmm. Um, which we can say some about. And then we have our own personal traditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, one I want to talk about that we've really been developing over the last few years is this intentional hibernation ritual. Do you want to say something about that? Because I, for me, this is one of my favorite rituals that I think do. we probably have different timing around that because that for me feels like a winter solstice ritual I think it's the the idea of hibernating and and slowing down and going within and sort of taking stock sure like you're for me I'm starting to think about that right, right. now and you know uh, which is weird right because culturally we speed up at this time of the year Typically, I, this this year with with standing, this year with standing, yeah. yeah, yeah. The hub of the holidays. There's usually a lot of events and parties and gatherings and family things and people travel a lot and people spend a lot of money, you know, going into the Christmas season and all that kind of thing. But what's happening to the Earth is to the Northern Hemisphere. Let's be clear, we're we're being very Northern Hemisphere centric at sure, the moment, sure, but. Sure. You know, it's it is slowing down. It's getting quiet. It's getting fallow, as we've said a few times. And so 
there is this way that our bodies want to slow down and go quiet, but our the external world doesn't quite have space for that. So, you know, sounds definitely a time where I start thinking about that process, even though my brain has to kind of kick into high gear because of the work that I do, you know, but by winter solstice, I'm really, sometimes we even, it's more than just a thought process. It's an actual spiritual ritual process of turning down the dials and going within and getting ready for the long sleep of winter. And we also, I mean, that we, we begin preparing for this. Yeah. I think this is why, you know, for me, it's, it's a Samhain tide ritual. Right. You know, at some point between Samhain and solstice, we'll, we'll actively do this ritual. And I mean, quite literally, I mean, to give you some of the specifics of the ritual, we'll go into our bed and we'll grab every blanket in the house. And some of our blankets are like faux fur. They look like bare skin and we pile them on the bed and we, we sort of burrow down into the bed and we look at each other and we talk about the year that's been and why we're looking forward to resting Mm -hmm. and um, again, letting go of the, the season or the, the, the year that's been. And then we, uh, whether we actually fall asleep or whether we just lay there still for a bit, we we go into this sort of hibernating mm-hmm. idea. We simulate being asleep if we're not actually asleep yeah. underneath all these covers. And it's a really visceral experience yeah. for me of like the weight of the blankets and the warmth and being close to you and, you know, again, sort of reciting what we've done for the year. Mm-hmm. And what we're looking forward to resting and rejuvenating and let compost right. over the next few months. And that's something that we really begin to think about at Samhain. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a few layers to that, right? For some traditions, Samhain is the witch's new year. So it's like the the clock starts over, you know, we, we start the count over. But also it's it's the last moment for to to take stock because at winter solstice there is this other belief that between winter solstice and imbolc you don't do any magic that that is the time of of complete fallowness of not engaging yeah you cook you eat you chop wood yeah, you tell you, stories you don't do spells you you know i yeah. mean obviously you do what you got to do when you got to do it but you know the belief is that from winter solstice to imbolc is really the quiet time like in some traditions no initiations are allowed to be performed during that window, right. you know, because it is not a, um, it is a time of quiet. So the window between sound and winter solstice is kind of your last chance <laughs> mm-hmm. to, to take stock, to think about what you've done, to think about what you want to do. You know, the, the, the beginning planning of your new year's resolution, so to speak, like it's, it might seem like it's far away, but it's going to be here sooner than you realize. So, and then, so what are the seeds of those thoughts? Yeah, you know? that, that's part of the practice that I really love and I and wanted to chat a little bit about here is that, so one of the things that we did for many, many, many years, we would keep lists throughout mm-hmm. the year. We called them our Samhain lists. Yeah. And we would write down, I want to read 50 books this year. I want to... Uh, be debt free. I want to buy a new car, and and some of it was more spiritually yeah. inclined. Um, it was a, it was our goal list right. for the coming year, and it was interesting to look at that throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so here's sort of the 
the agricultural tie-in from Samhain to solstice, mm-hmm. we would look at what had happened the previous 12 months. Yeah. We would say, yep, I read all the books. I, I got initiated. I you know, did whatever it was I, I was saying I would do. Not sort of goal-oriented, but just an acknowledgement mm-hmm. of what had happened throughout the year and a recognition of what had not happened right. throughout the year. And a moment to look at why maybe it didn't. Right. Yeah. And just to sort of sit in that. So from, again, whenever Samhain is for you through solstice, winter solstice, it was this acknowledgement, this holding. There was no more doing. Mm-hmm. It was just this holding of the year that had been. Right. And then from winter solstice through Imbolc, it was this, if the year were to start again. Right. What would I want to plant? Not necessarily what am I doing, but just this sort of dreaming on it, if you will. What might I want to do next year? Yeah, And looking at those things that didn't come to fruition and determining are those the things, do those things go on the list again? Or did they not manifest for a reason? And it's time to let them go and say goodbye. Right. And that is one of the traditions I love that we really do around Sauentide is this Again, taking stock, mm-hmm. um, looking at what we've got, looking at what did or didn't happen for the year, and just letting it be. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think if I were to really talk about and Tide, again, from sort of September, October-ish through winter solstice-ish, mm-hmm. for me, it's just this, it's a, a, about the not doing. Yeah. Um, for many, many years, I would teach throughout the years. I still do, but it's a little bit different now. But mm-hmm. I would teach throughout the year, and I would always teach my last class um, no later than the first weekend in November. Yeah. So that all of November, all of December, most of January, and then be- at the beginning of January, I would start teaching again. Mm-hmm. And that was a very conscious decision to, again, not do that magic. Yeah. Um, to let things rest, to let them breathe, to let them recharge, and to let me recharge. Right. Right. More importantly. Yeah. Um, and, and as a tradition, I just adore that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why I think moving at the beginning of October, yeah. as we've done, yeah. and getting in and spending the next couple of weeks making this house our home, mm-hmm. and then really I'm looking forward to, you know, somewhere around the 15th, I'm guessing, just settling into this house. We've done little bits of magic, a first meal, other firsts throughout the house. I'm really looking forward to to that grounding, like doing really good ritual, inviting all of our deities and ancestors and whatnot to be with us this Samhain mm-hmm. in this new place. Mm-hmm. And then just letting it be really excited about that. Yeah. I think another thing that's important about this time and that it it goes to speak to the ancestors and the beloved dead and also sort of that goal taking is that grief comes up a lot at this time of the year Yeah, because it is a, an opportunity, especially when, when things are more normal and you can be in community or go to public ritual or have your covens gathering or whatever. It's a place where you can share the love you have for someone who's no longer physical. Yeah. And be held by your community and that grief and experience that grief and cry and tell their stories and and let your voice shake. And it can be an opportunity to experience the grief about the 
goals you didn't manifest and the reasons that they may or may not have happened and the spells that didn't work. Yeah, and the, you know, it so grief is is a very typical emotion that comes up at this time of the year and it's important to let yourself feel it and be in it and experience it and when possible, you know, be be witnessed too in that and be held by your community when when you can be. Yeah. So uh you mentioned earlier on all you need is a is a candle and a and a and water mm-hmm. right if you wanted to make an offering. <clears throat> what are some other types of spell work, specifically spell work that you do at this time of year? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta think about it. I don't know. I think um I don't know. I don't think there's any specific spell work that I do at this time of the year. I think there is specific ritual that I do at this time of the year, but that's more about my my personal practice and less about spellcraft, yeah. you know. But like the first public ritual I ever went to was a reclaiming tradition ritual, and the reclaiming tradition is eclectic and uh, improvis- improvisational, and and so there's rarely a ritual that is the same. Every time you attend a ritual, and even if you go to the same ritual year after year, it's usually different. It's, um, you know, there's a few commonalities. There's always a maypole at Beltane and that kind of thing. But, um, but the, the the flow of the ritual will look a little bit different, except for Samhain, which is um, in San Francisco anyway. There is the, this big ritual called the Spiral Dance that lots of different witches and pagans come to. It's not just a specific reclaiming tradition ritual, but there is this trance that's offered, and it is a trance where you're led to the Isle of Apples, and you have an opportunity to see a beloved dead and, or ancestor and connect with them and have a moment and, and then come back from the Isle of Apples. And so a lot of my personal practice because that influenced me so much at the beginning of my witchcraft life and and in my teen years I always associate the Isle of Apples with ancestors I always um, I I, in another group that I'm in we go to the roadhouse of the dead but there is this always a journey a trance journey a an astral journey a, a meditative journey to a location where you can visit with a beloved dead and ask questions or tell them you miss them or get some wisdom and then come back. Right. So that's a huge part of my personal, again, it's not a spell, but it is um, like, since we've been moving, (laughs) I found a journal that I had written about my Samhain trance in last year. And I was like, Whoa, I didn't remember any of it. I had no um, memory of this taking place, but what happened is very, um, what I wrote down shows a, a map of what happened for the rest of my year coming mm-hmm. back to Samhain this year, you know, if we look at Samhain to Samhain. So it's pretty trippy, you know, to do these trances or journeys or visitations uh, and see how that might play out for you for the rest of the year. That's why a book of shadows is so important. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm not much of a journaler, oddly enough, because I'm a writer as well, but I'm not much of a journaler, but I do sort of sketch thoughts down. Yeah, and, at and, least get the bullet points, yeah, you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, and that actually, uh, I, I, again, I um, I love Samhain Tide for 
ritual. I mean, I think, you know, depending on what your practice are, there are all kinds of wonderful rituals that happen throughout the year. But there's something for me, magnificent, profound. Um, it, there's a different way of connecting mm-hmm. at Samhain. It's particularly witchy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And again, I think that's, again, because as an overculture, we're steeped again in, in the witchiness of the season. But there is just something. It's I, I, You might say that Christmas and Easter are the heights of the Christian faith, mm-hmm. right? They are the, the most profound um, parts of the story of that myth and mm-hmm. legend. Mm-hmm. For me, that's Samhain. Yeah. I love that, that moment where we can reach backward in time to our ancestors, where we can stand fully present in this life that we have right now, mm-hmm. and how we can look into the future to both the world that is coming yeah. to the descendants, whether they're ours biologically or just the next set of humans that are coming after us. Mm-hmm. And also this recognition that, you know, I have a limited amount of future, right? Right. There's only so many more breaths that I will take. Mm-hmm. And to stand in that one moment, that crystal moment mm-hmm. in ritual, recognizing that I have ancestors, um, and descendants, and I am both of those mm-hmm. in that moment. It's so funny. We often think of the, the image of our ancestors standing behind us. Yeah. And several years ago, a dear friend of mine mentioned the idea that actually our ancestors go in front of us because they've already been there. Mm-hmm. They did. They did their journey fifty years ago, a hundred years ago, a thousand years ago, they walk in front. and they walk in front mm-hmm. of us. And so we actually walk in the footsteps yeah. of our ancestors. Yeah. We follow them. Yeah. And it, that really has flipped my um, sense of responsibility to those coming up in the witchcraft traditions that I practice, mm-hmm. and what how important it is for me to leave them something. Mm-hmm. Um, not of myself specifically, but of the traditions that I am part of to impart some passion, some love, some wisdom, some pitfalls, some best practices, some fuck don't do what I did. You know, like I love that idea that I'm walking in front of other people Mm -hmm. as I am walking behind others. Yeah. And I think nothing typifies from a sort of a religious standpoint of view, this really is for me the highest of the, of the holy days. Sure. Yeah, I agree with that. And um, because it's so precious, mm-hmm. this life, this death, this legacy. A recent development of pretty much all of the wheel of the year for me in the last couple of years is this, uh, northern southern hemisphere thing mm-hmm. and I, you know we said earlier we were being a little northern hemisphere centric because that's where we live and that's the practice that sure. we have but what I find fascinating and I bring this I think about this I contemplate this every holiday as we celebrate Samhain those in the southern hemisphere are celebrating Beltane so even though we're in this moment of the veil being thin and our ancestors and death and the and sliding into the darker side of the year and all of this, our brethren on the other side of the planet are 
coming out and feeling the fertility and uh, enjoying the warmth and starting to see things come into blossom and feeling the celebration of life. And so they're every, literally every holiday in, on the pagan wheel of the year, which is what we're talking about, is a balance because of the northern and southern hemispheres. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's we think of it as a cycle. This thing follows that thing. Yeah. But it really is one um, act, yeah. right? You know, because we're on one planet and it's just depending on, you know, where the axial tilt is at the time, right. what we experience. Yeah. But it is so fascinating. Yeah. And if you are in one hemisphere and have friends in the other hemisphere, then you kind of get a taste of that. Mm. You get, you know, I, I have a lot of friends in Australia and well, we have family in Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, well. and so it's kind of fun and interesting to be thinking of Samhain and death and quiet and to see all of my friends that are in Australia talking about Beltane and wearing flowers on their hair and enjoying the warmth of the sun and, you know, the very opposite of, of where I am. And, and it's like that all year long. All the time. Which is just, it's really beautiful and amazing. It's just been this, this contemplative practice that I've yeah. had, and maybe not even a couple of years, maybe just two, one, nine months, I don't even know, but it feels very recent that I've started really holding that balance point as something yeah. to honor every time we have a holiday. It's, it makes it less linear, right? Yeah. It's not this thing followed by, you know, eight weeks later, this yeah. thing followed by, it's, it's always and ever occurring. Right. Well, and, you know, the reality is the wheel of the year is a bunch of bullshit that was made up by more modern people than we like to, than we may realize. It's a very modern concept. It's not an ancient concept. And so... Well, I would beg to differ that <laughs> Samhain has been celebrated. I'm not ta- I didn't say Samhain. I said the Wheel of the Year. Yes. The Wheel of the Year is a modern construct. Sure. Uh, but so is time. Right. <laughs> you know, so it's just, it's just remembering the the vastness of our planet and the experiences that people are having and how there is always balance is mm-hmm. I find very fascinating and yeah. interesting. And it's much more interesting than, than this, you know, sort of man-made concept of, of the high holidays for pagans, yeah. you know? Yeah. 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 All things occur at all times. Right. Which is, is particularly lovely. Yeah. But which, which I think is a, you know, um, a particularly witchy worldview. Mm-hmm. Right? I really do. I mean, it, it to, you know, many traditions do say that time is circular, that it's not linear, that things uh, happened, are happening, will happen right. simultaneously. Right. And, um, and I think, you know, again, that's, that's a, another thing that comes up for me at this time of year of Samhain is yeah. really recognizing that life, birth, and redeath or redeath, life, birth, death, regeneration are all happening all the time. Right. And mm-hmm. on that note, <laughs> we should probably wrap up. This show is now dead. Yeah. Is that it? All right. So hold on. Just before we do wrap up, what are the actual things that we said? Because we said we were going to talk about some of our favorite family traditions. So we visit grave sites. We make altars primarily for ancestors. We have, we have ancestor dinners. Mm-hmm. We go to pumpkin patches. We go to pumpkin patches. We watch cheesy, witchy movies. Uh-huh. Uh, we do trances and hibernate. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Happy Samhain, everyone. Yeah, go out and do witchy things. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Cheers. See you later.